At its finest, man. Don't turn things up. Amen. Turn things down. All right. Cool. But we come from rock and roll. I don't want to hear turn it down. What are you talking about? I'm a punk rocker. Are don't you? tell is me that, to turn something down. Is that your trade? No, not really. I just <laughs> felt like saying that. You don't know me. I could say anything right you now. You can, man. You All can, right. You could convince me that you were you were a member of KISS at one time, and I wouldn't be able to tell you differently. That would be pretty tight. So I've decided that I'm going to change the name of my podcast from start to beat. Wow, I can't talk. Wow. Let's, uh, Maybe that's why you should change the name. Yeah, let's change the name from start to beat to strangers in my house. Because I have no idea who you are. Exactly. Well, I mean, I know I know mutual. who you are because we have a mutual we friend. We have a mutual friend, exactly. That said that you, you should come on the show. And I got a little bit of a backstory about you, you know, working in the community with McKee's Rocks and being a solo musician and somebody that's just passionate and gives a shit about life. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds like my kind of my kind of human. All right. So- for everyone out there, please welcome my friend. I'm going to go by your stage name, but if you want to give out your government, that's totally up to you. Make some noise for my friend, Leaky Fawcett. I'll insert applause here. Thanks, Brian. Yes. The thund thunderous <laughs> crowd. Yes. So today on Strangers in My House, I am talking with you. Your background as a musician, you know, where does that all start? Why did you decide to sit down in front of a, a piano? If that was your first instrument, I'm not sure. Whatever <laughs> it was, what was the first instrument? You know, man, it was it was a piano, and you know, a little bit auspicious start. It was a birthday present for my parents. It was an old Casio, one of those little Casio. Oh hell things. yeah! And it happened to be January 28th, 1986, which is when the Challenger blew up. So, kind of a a weird start to my musical career, but. You know, um, but yeah, like, you know, a lot of people, I grew up on, you know, pop and classic rock of the day and, you know, groups like Led Zeppelin, you know, really caught my, caught my attention initially. And that kind of led me to explore like, okay, how does someone craft these amazing songs that move me and just take me all these so, places? You know, I don't, I don't want to like throw, uh, your age out there, but right. you seem like, so I'm in my mid thirties and you seem like somebody's maybe a decade above me. We'll go maybe. with that. Yeah, sure. I'm good. not sure, yeah. but I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody actually about, we were listening to Led Zeppelin and just thinking about, can I imagine like being a teenager in Led Zeppelin is a new thing. Like nobody's ever done anything like this before. Was that right. like an experience that maybe you had with Led Zeppelin? Yeah. And what was know, that like? Well, it was weird, man, because it was it was a pretty seismic shift, right? Because I had gone from listening to the to the pop music of the day and the the Billy Joels and and Prince and things like that, and then you know I think like the first song I heard was like um, Dear uh, Jamaica or whatever the hell it is off Houses of the Holy the Reggae, sure. and I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, and then I heard more and it was just like, what is, yeah, it blew my mind. Yeah, it was just like, I think a lot of people, when they're looking back at classic rock, especially in that 70s, 60s time frame, it's really easy to take for granted how quick all of that stuff it's happens. Nuts. Even with like a band like the Beatles, it's like their entire discography of like 14 albums spans like eight, eight years. years. Right. What? Yeah. Like that's so insane to think about. 
Yeah, and, and, and if, you, if you think about it at a larger scale, I think what was fascinating that, fascinating that was happening at the time is that you had this huge soup coming together of like Motown and this great black music, James Brown and the funk that came out of it. You know, you had Miles Davis embracing, um, you know, psychedelic rock and everything. You had Jimi Hendrix, you know, in the blues. And then, like you said, in this decade-long period, you had this explosion of fusions of different styles and so much incredible music. It's such a deep, rich catalog, and there's so much connective tissue there, right? Yeah. Because you can listen to, you know, 70s funk and tie it together with rock at the time and, and vice versa. And everyone was kind of trying to, you know, being being influenced by respective styles. And it just... It just made for, I, I think, a really unique and incredible period of music that is just so rich and endless in what you can explore and do with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I am a, a a child of the 80s and I guess more than 90s is like whenever I fart, I'm getting into finding the music that I want to listen to, right. right? And it's it's an interesting time, I think, because, you know, classic rock that's like the parents music you don't want to listen at, to that at, stuff at that stage and it's it was, really yeah. interesting when you know in my let's say like maybe more towards my teenage years and i start like listening to more and more music like wow like this stuff is so cool and it sounds so different and even like yesterday still having those thoughts about like what could it have been like Right. You know, because I take it for granted because like Led Zeppelin has been a band as long as I've been alive. Like those songs were a couple decades old when I was Absolutely. born yep. or a decade old. I'm not, I was born in 85. So, yeah, around a decade old. But, um, you know, it's I don't know. Anyways, so you're hearing that stuff as a musician. And uh, I can't imagine like just how inspiring that would have been because, you know, I had like Limp Biscuit and you had Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will, yeah, man, I, I will, yeah, I, yeah, I, I will say this, that it was weird. So yeah, so that's, I, I get into the, the classic rock stuff. I go to college, I start singing in a band in a basement, you know, I had long hair. I wanted to be Robert Plant. I thought it was cool and all that. <laughs> I couldn't sing. And that's when I'm like, I better pull that keyboard back out and find a way to fit in. And, you know, it just happened that, you know, all the other instruments were already taken in the band. I'm like, okay, I got a keyboard. Let's start farting around with this. And then, you know, the other guys in the band, there were guys that were into King Crimson and Prague and different oh, things. Oh, the nerdy stuff. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> which was cool. So I just, totally. I just started to get into the improvisational side of it, right? And so that, so that planted a seed. And then as I, you know, get out of college and into adulthood, and like you're saying, man, it's, it's the 90s and – Everyone else is out there discovering Nirvana and Pearl Jam because they're shaking it up and like completely rewriting the script. And so while everyone from my generation is off doing that, like I'm discovering James Brown and Aretha Franklin. And I'm just like, again, it's those seismic moments, right? It's like, what the hell is this, man? You know, and Marvin Gaye. Oh, yeah. And, that, dude, that, that happened with me like the first time I heard Betty Davis. Yeah. I was right? like, what, what the is fuck? How has this been? Literally, like in the the this has been around my entire life, right? And I'm I'm only hearing this when I'm like 28 years old. Yeah, like, how's that possible? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's mind blowing, but it's so fun to like dig back into that stuff. And also, it like makes me think so much differently about so much of the music that I grew up listening to because I'm starting to hear like stuff that I thought was like groundbreaking, 
in a way it was to me. Yeah. But I start to hear stuff that's like decades before. It's like, oh, this is what they were listening to. Exactly. That influenced man. them. Exactly. That's that's the whole thing is like, you know, you, you read about classic rock. Okay, they were inspired by the blues. I didn't get the blues until coming home from college and YEP has this great blues programming on Saturday nights. You know, Rhett Weatherspoon is still there. Used to be a guy by the name of Bumblebee Slim that was there as well. And so I would listen to these shows, you know, and I'm driving around and, you know, they're playing in that old school, hardcore, early John Lee Hooker and even, you know, Robert Johnson and back into the twenties. And you're like, what the hell is this, man? This is the devil's music. This is crazy. Yeah. I could see how these guys that, you know, Clapton and Page and all these guys were inspired, but it's just like, wow, they couldn't capture what these original blues artists did. They were in, in a lot of ways superior in, a, in, in the emotive and, and just power of, of the music and what they could do with the blues than the classic rock guys that followed them. And so you gain that respect and then you just want to dig in. And that's when I got into harmonica and just, you know, I listened to this Muddy Waters live album over and over and just tried to reproduce the harmonica on it. Cause I'm like, this stuff is evil. Sure. You know, it's just so powerful. And yeah, I just woodshedded with a lot of that blues stuff for, for years. Yeah, I think when you're digging into the old blues stuff, it really brings up a conversation as a songwriter that I think a lot of people need to have with themselves and like intention. Like, why am I making this music? Right. You know, and at the time, especially with that blues stuff, there was no like, oh, I'm making this because... I'm inspired by X, Y, or Z, maybe a little bit, but it's more like, no, I really have something on my chest to get out, exactly, to get out man. there, you know? And then now decades later, especially in like modern times, there's not all, but a lot of musicians I feel are making music for, I don't know, their intentions are maybe a little different. Maybe it's more like, you know, like the idea of like some sort of vague fame or fortune or notoriety, things like that, whether we want to admit it or not, it's in our brain somewhere that that is a possibility. Yeah. And I don't think that was ever even considered possibly with a lot of the old blues artists. It's like, no, no, they, I mean, no these way. guys, these guys are, are playing on their back porch. Okay. They have no TV. They have no iPhones. They have no distractions. In a lot of cases, just living in extreme poverty, that was all they had. That was their sole means of expression and, and release and escape, you know? So of course it's to your point, of course it's going to be so much more powerful. And then to, you know, also to your point, I'm nodding my head because I just, over the years, I've seen a lot of blues bands out there that were guys who played classic rock guitar and said like, Oh, Steve Ray Vaughan, I could do the blues. Sure. And it's just like, no, man, you're not getting it. But yeah. You're playing three chords. And you're shouting these things out. Maybe you're playing a wild guitar solo, but there's no feeling there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, you know? there's a, uh, the, the, the fine line that I feel like we, we walk as creators between like intention and emulation and like what is, what are we trying to do? I feel like sometimes like if you just want to be the next Stevie Ray Vaughan and you want to just basically be a Stevie Ray Vaughan Halloween costume, yeah, is your your thing. Yeah. Cool. I yeah. mean, if that's what makes you happy, right, man, that's Absolutely. great. But I, I Absolutely. think, I think that it's hard to, uh, 
to bypass how important intention is in that kind of music. And a lot of times with creatives that are trying to figure out like, why isn't this working? You know, you get, Oh, like the Facebook algorithms aren't putting my stuff out there yeah. to people or right. this and that, which I guess it's true, but it's also like, well, maybe you're just not making genuine stuff. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like, you ever have like hear people talk about like, Oh, I posted a picture of my, my cat and it got way more likes than a picture <laughs> of, and then me posting something on my song. Right. Yep. I think that it's not like Facebook likes your cat more than your music. I just think people see the genuine nature of like, oh, this is a picture of my animal and I'm proud of this animal. So people are attracted to that genuine nature versus like a please listen to my music desperation post. And it's yeah. like, this isn't genuine, so I'm not going to interact with it. Like, I don't think the Internet hides our art from people as much as we think it does. I think it's just that the desperation is very there's like a sense there that people see. You know, it's it's weird. It's just like. I spent all of last year working on this al album and finally getting it done. And that was literally every ounce of, of me went into. And then you finish it and it's just like, oh, all of a sudden now you got to switch gears and think about the business side of it and the promotion totally, and, totally. and, and everything, which is a whole different beast. And, you know, for me, I could have more fun with it because to me, I did this for me. I did this because it had to come out. It was cathartic. Absolutely. You know, and at the end of the day, I wanted to make something that wasn't being made out there today. I made this for me to listen to and for me to have for years. You know, I had these sounds in my head and I'm like, this is it. This is what this album can say. And this is what I want to listen to. So I'm less concerned if, if people dig it and I get likes or I get streams or whatever. Yeah. Um, because I'm confident in what I've, what I've made. And what's been the best part of this is that musician friends, you know, and others ha ha are especially like, wow, man, this is really good. And that's like the best compliment you could, you could receive. Yeah. I, th I think that, if you're not in a position where you can do art for yourself, I feel like you're going to have a really hard time maintaining any sort of sense of like self-worth yeah. <laughs> because like it's really, really oh, hard right. for, especially in the social media age, it's really, really hard to feel as though you're, you're relevant to the people around you just because there's so much static going, going on in the world. And as somebody that is, you know, probably a, a generation or two removed from TikTok culture. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, well, I guess I could kind of imagine it because like I grew up, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until like after I graduated high school. So right. I didn't like grow up in that culture. I'm like maybe one of the last few people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like after high school, I think like the year after high school, MySpace became a thing. Right. And that's like when social media, but like when I was in high school, we didn't have any social media or anything like that. And that's when I was starting to do music and my friends were in bands. So like, I still remember like the whole, like, oh, we're burning CDs and bringing them to school and printing out flyers yep. and word of mouth sort of thing. And, you know, actually going to a album store to buy a CD when it comes out. I still have that in my, in my DNA, but the way people consume music now is so different. Absolutely. So in your position of like, Oh, okay. I have this EP that I recorded and I'm going to release it. You know, did you have sort of an idea going into this that like, 
of what promoting music is like nowadays versus maybe back in the day? Because you had mentioned playing in bands, you know, when you were younger, and I'm not too sure if you've always been writing music or if you took some time away from music. Like, what was it like? You know, when you like, what was the time frame in between, you know, starting out, breaking that keyboard out, doing the prog rock stuff to like now and having the solo release? Yeah. So like one of the first things, like I was describing to you, I I spent a lot of time just woodshedding old blues records and really trying to cop the harmonica parts, the piano parts and getting to a point where I felt good enough to say like, okay, I'm ready to take this out and play out. Yeah. You know, so my first kind of goal was. I want to I want to have a band that's playing authentic Chicago blues out out there. This Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, John Lee Hooker stuff, and really create that sound. And and you know how this works too. We're always our own worst critics. So I probably didn't feel comfortable getting out of my basement until I, I felt like I had really achieved some level of mastery. But yeah. you know that's an ongoing thing, and you know it's one of those things that. That I think we all need to do oh, is be more confident in, in our art and, and just put it out there. Sure, I would. I would say you know, you know be more confident and be more critical. I think yeah. it's really important. You could do you both, know? right? Yeah, I think that there's like again uh, that fine line between uh, don't underestimate yourself, but also don't overestimate your worth as an artist. Um, you know, I don't. I don't. I don't want to cut you off, but. And I don't want to refrain too, too much because I been talking about this a lot on other episodes of the podcast in terms of uh, artists playing shows when they're just not ready to play shows. Yeah. And the overall impact that that makes on a local music scene for people that aren't artists, people that don't have the empathy to understand that like, oh, this band's just figuring it out. Right. Sometimes a normal person at a show sees people on a stage. They don't understand the politics of how it works. And they see a band that's not ready to play yeah. and then they go leaving like, well, local music is bullshit. Right. And that just sucks. But yeah. that's, <laughs> and it, it's true, man. Like I I've seen bands before starting out friends, bands and different things. And you could tell that there's something there. There's an energy and I'm like, Hey, that's cool. They're, they're saying something, they're putting something different out there, you know? And then I, I would go out and talk to the bass player between sets. I'm like, Hey man, you're out of tune. So just, sure. you know, just tune up and, you know, but, like you said, people are not going to give them a chance. They're going to be like, oh, they, they suck or yeah. there's something wrong here or, mm-hmm. or whatever. It, it's it's hard in a city like <clears throat> Pittsburgh because there isn't really, um, there's like too much, there isn't a place for bands like that to really cut their teeth. It's almost as if the only way that you can like get a show a lot of the time in Pittsburgh is if you're opening up for like a touring band yeah. at one of these venues. There aren't like too many venues, especially because I, I mostly exist in the realm of like heavy metal rock cool uh hip-hop a bit punk yep. a bit like yep. those alternative subgenres. so you know we don't have like there aren't a lot of places for us to play shows where we can just like work it out it's always like a bigger crowd sort of thing unless you're playing like a weeknight in a bar somewhere but who knows what that's gonna be like in a in a post-covid world we don't even gotta that's a whole rabbit hole i have no idea what the world of rock and metal is gonna be like in pittsburgh right now you know it's really interesting i, I was just having this conversation last night with a friend of mine um rj carabia he owns broadway brunch which is a fantastic diner in in stowe township and he's a musician himself and he was talking we have a couple big old warehouse spaces in McKee's rocks that are now have become 
places for rehearsal studios, ABC EZ and Store Express. And I have a friend who has a, a, a space at ABC EZ and like, we'll go there. And when we get together, it's usually like we're working on jazz, jazz fusion, more, you know, improvisational stuff. And they're right next door to you. You have this group like blasting, you know, super thrash metal and everything. And RJ was talking about the same. He had this a similar experience because he's more into, um, how did he put it? Kind of pop punk stuff like okay. Blink 182 and different things. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you go down the hall and you hear someone playing bluegrass, you hear someone playing metal, and then they come out in the hall and you're like, hey, man, I like what you're, you're So even though it's something completely different than what you're doing, you're impressed with it. And I had this ex experience, like I said, at ABCZ and like we're playing whatever. I hear this metal band doing their thing and I'm like, man, that's cool. And like it led me to throw out some different grooves. Like I was doing some more dissonant stuff because I was picking up on what I was hearing next door. And so I wonder if that's part of the future is that, you know, maybe we're making music collectively in these bigger spaces in our own little cubes, but it's bleeding over. And maybe there's some class, you know, cross collaboration and, and appreciation. And some of these spaces are big enough that you can fit 10 people in. So maybe it's a more intimate setting, you know? So I don't know, man, it's, it, yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see where this, where this goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, really interesting because, you know, with those communities. So with my band, um, my metal band, I play in a metal band called Grey Walker. And um, we're always, we've always been very open to playing shows with other bands. We don't have to play with other death metal bands right. all the time. You know, we're actually, I'm personally, I'm more happy if we're like the, the only heavier band on a bill, not yeah. because I want to be the heaviest band on the bill. Yeah. I just like knowing like, oh, okay, you, so you're going to get some intensity here, right. but maybe there's like some more like slow doomy kind of black Sabbath sort of thing going on. Or maybe we're playing with a band. that's more like a radio rock one Oh five, nine, the X sort of thing. Right. That's cool. Because like what I've found with people that go to shows, they, <clears throat> are not necessarily always concerned as much as like, Oh, like I'm going to a metal show. I want to see metal bands or rock bands. They just want to see people do what they do well. So if you can like put on a good show, people will pretty much sit through any kind of music as long as you're doing it well and being entertaining. So it's a matter of like finding of other bands in our community, being more willing to maybe step outside of that box. A lot of people can be very protective or maybe they don't want to be so like, like, I don't want to play with other, you know, I'm a, we're in a punk band. We're not playing with metal bands right. or again, I totally get it. We all, I, and I think we, as I musicians, we, we, yeah. we go there at times too. Totally. Like, I get well, it. My music's this and they're, you know, well, you I know. mean, I mean, there's some, some streams you can't cross, you know, like the, you can't put ranch dressing on vanilla ice cream. Right. <laughs> uh, What's the musical equivalent of that? <laughs> uh, you know, like maybe, um, I would say, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time thinking about that. Maybe it's something for your listeners to, to, to maybe ponder. like a, maybe like a, maybe some, maybe like a pop country, like stadium sort of like wanna, you know, somebody doing like a pop country sort of thing. And then like a death metal band. I don't know if those audiences really want to be around each other. 
They both like beer though. So who knows? Maybe you put enough of that around and so maybe we have a concept now for, for collaboration. Yeah. I, I ultimately can, can ranch dressing and, and vanilla ice cream work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the hidden Valley and Briars collaboration. Um, I think that ultimately regardless of genre, I think people are going to need to be more willing to step outside of their comfort zone, at least for the next year or two easily if they want to be able to dip their toes back into live music again. Cause I think it's going to be a while before we're able to like have like fully segregated kind of clubs that are like, Oh, this is the metal club. That's the punk club. Cause like everybody's going to be doing whatever they can to stay open. I could be wrong though. Well, man, what, what, what do venues look like on the other side of all this? I mean, we've lost some really awesome venues in the process. I mean, the Rex closing was a huge blow. That was one of my favorite venues to go to. Yeah. Right. I mean, and there's obviously other casualties. So to your point, it's probably going to have to be a more inclusive and less segregated scene on the other side. Yeah. Which is, that's a great opportunity. I definitely would prefer that. Yeah. 100%. Um, I agree too, because how are, how's, are you going to be um, exposed to d different styles? Because you naturally may not go out of your comfort zone. You know, I'm naturally not going to, I mean, I enjoy metal. I, I grew up listening to it. But I naturally just don't go there because that's not what I'm into right totally. now. But when I'm at the rehearsal space and I hear it next door and I dig it, or when I'm at Black Forge Coffee House in McKee's Rocks and like I was today and they're playing metal over it, it's just I always get something out, out of that. Mm -hmm. I always get something out of being exposed to different styles. And sometimes that needs to kind of be thrust on you because you're naturally you know, maybe not going to explore that yourself. That's, yeah. I've always depended on others to turn me on to different types of music. I think that it would be very um, beneficial for people that are like contributors to the music scene to be exposed to more styles of music because like through me doing this podcast over the years, I've learned about so many different pockets of the music scene that I wouldn't know exist otherwise. But, you know, right. between doing the podcast and between like being in a heavy metal band and a hip hop project and I've played in punk bands in the past and blah, 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 like I've seen a lot more of what Pittsburgh as a whole has to offer than maybe somebody that is only going to metal shows all the time or just going to blue shows all the time. It's a really big thing. And the thing that you get sometimes is this negative connotation that like, oh, the music scene is small or there isn't anything going on. And it's like, right. well, yeah, if you're just going to the same two venues every other week and seeing the same local bands all the time and the same people, like you're not being exposed to what else is going on. And if you're a creator and you want to like grow a fan base locally, it's like you can put yourself into play different bars, play other places. You can actually grow in a way where you're going to expose yourself to more people instead of like that same crowd that likes to frequent that place. I think that's a, you know, a metaphor on a larger conversation and I think about all the time is that, you know, so much of what I just try to do in life is, you know, gain knowledge and hopefully through that wisdom and hopefully through that peace. But like, we should always be learning and exploring and pushing ourselves. Sure. I mean, to me, that's, that's the beauty of, of life and hopefully a, a long life is to, you know, to always be learning and discovering something new because there's so much out there to your point, yeah. you know, and certainly, you know, that's, 
I, I like to think that's what we're all trying to do with music is always evolving, growing, expanding because, you know, we could, we could live a thousand lives and not discover all the music that's out there. Yeah. That, that goes back to our earlier conversation of intent, right? I think that I started making music personally. I, I was only child, didn't have a lot of friends in school liked weirdo music, didn't have a lot of friends that liked weirdo music, right. but I was very well aware that there were other weirdos out there. Like, you know, like one of the first big concerts that I went to was uh smashing pumpkins at the civic arena years ago. Right. This was yeah. a melancholy tour. Yep. Right. And uh, being so young and being there and seeing like, you know, and I was the only kid that had like the smashing pumpkins t-shirt in my school, but then you go to this place and there's thousands of other people that Legions. have the same t-shirts. Yes. I'm like, oh, there's other people that like this yeah. stuff. And it's like, how do you find those people? So when I started getting into like listening to music and eventually making music, it was always about like growing that uh, my uh, my friend base of weirdos, my, my weirdo Rolodex. I'm always trying to add people to it. And to this day, that's still the case that's probably a big part of the reason why i still do this podcast and you know we're almost at 400 episodes at this point wow. and like that's a lot of ding dong weirdos that we've put in the rolodex yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool and the majority of the people have been local not always exclusively local right. but a lot of them have been and i am nowhere near even being close to running out of people to talk to absolutely you know like i'm meeting you for the first time today absolutely and you know we're, we're tied in with a lot of things going on in the music scene in our own ways. So the concept of being like, oh, the music scene is small. Like you're crazy if you think that because there's so much going on. It's just a matter of what your intention is, right? Like my intention has always been to seek out new people and learn more things. And like, it wasn't even like the art or like the music isn't as important as the community of it to me, you know? Uh, if people like the music, awesome, right. you know? But for me, it's more about just... uh the shared experience of like getting to meet other bands and inspire and be inspired and just keep creating with the little bit of time that I have on this spinning rock until someone or something decides that it's my time to check out. Do you consider yourself an extrovert? Um, no, <laughs> I think most, I think a lot of artists come from an introverted perspective. And I think that people that, I think that the best that a lot of us try to do is try to learn how to be more extroverted. Um, when I meet artists that are very extroverted people, I always feel like something's off. <laughs> like, I feel like they're, they're not always the most like, I just feel like there's like an ulterior motive not to like generalize people, but yeah. what are you, well, how do you feel? I, you know, so I'm, I'm listening to what you're, you're talking about and, you know, I consider myself clearly more of an introvert and I, I think that's awesome that you're so ravenously out there wanting to, to connect with, with more people and be influenced. That's something I have to push myself to do. That's not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is to, you know, huddle in, sure. in my little cave and, well, and yeah i mean you know to be like if i'm being fully transparent like you know there was a moment yesterday when i'm thinking about what am i doing tomorrow and like i knew i had this podcast and i have another podcast later today with other two other people that i've never met yeah and there's part of me that's just like i don't as much as i like meeting new people i'm also like i don't know if i have the mental space to deal with this so like 
I also struggle in my own ways too with like it's comforting meeting, to hear that meeting new that. people, yeah. you know, and like countless times I've just been like, why the fuck am I doing this podcast? <laughs> but also it's because I am curious. I am genuinely curious, but that's that battle that I was talking about. Like I would rather there's part of me that would rather just not do anything, get lost over here, work exactly. on mixes. Yep. Or if I'm feeling like, especially like dumb, I'll just watch cooking shows and get inspired and try to make something half as good later by myself. That's a very productive use of your time, by I, the way. I, but like, you know, I know that that's not healthy though. Exactly. So I have to like push myself. And like, that's exactly it, it. Like, honestly, us talking, like not even five minutes in, I'm like, oh, I like this guy and this is going to be a totally good conversation. Yeah, man, I have feelings, feelings mutual. I had no <laughs> idea what to expect. And I'm like, you know. Yeah. So it's just like you, I think that most of the time it's very rare that, you know, I push myself into something and then I'm mad that I did it. Yeah. I'm usually happier that isn't, I did isn't it, it. Isn't it something how that works out? And you're like, I was, I was feeling this way going in and look how great it turned out. Yeah. You know, but it, it remains a challenge, right? It, it, it you know, as you said, so it, I, it's really comforting to you talk about, hey, here's someone who, and here's a group of people who think like me. It's comforting to hear you say that that it's a ch you have to push yourself. It's a challenge. Yeah. Because that's exactly how I feel. And I think that there's like an, an empathy that I've learned more recently, maybe even only over like the past year or two of like really understanding how people operate in a music scene and trying to realize that a lot of people feel the way that we do. And you'll get a lot of people like, Oh, like such and such is a dick or they're standoffish. And yeah. like, <clears throat> I get that. And maybe sometimes they are like that, but also maybe they're just having the same introverted characteristics that maybe me or you have. And it comes off but as being aloof or something. Yeah, like and maybe that, they're you know? just not able to like wrestle with it in a way that I can. Yep. But sometimes it's like hard because like I'll try to be like, you know, like I have one particular experience in my mind right now of a band in the in the local metal scene uh, that I look up to a lot. I think that they're very, very good at mm -hmm. what they do. And I feel that, you know, they're one of those bands that haven't gotten quite what I feel they deserve in terms of recognition. Um, just because they're they're fucking great and they're really really good. Yeah. But they are incredibly standoffish people. Interesting. And it's like that is why I figured you know trying to like you know I I I helped book them onto a show. I tried to talk with them before and after the show, and it's just like really like cold shoulder sort of thing with me. And it's like it's like I don't think that anybody is genuinely this much of a dickhead. You're right. I know. I think it's, I mean, those people exist, but I feel I like was just gonna probably, say, some people are just dicks. I feel like it's know? more likely that, that like they're just having some sort of a self-esteem or confidence or introvert thing yep. that they can't wrestle. And it's easier to be, I don't know. I guess it's easier to be like a porcupine than, you know, be somebody that's willing to embrace, uh, kindness I don't know. I'm not like a f well, fucking psychologist. So here's, <laughs> so here's the thing, man, is that it is starting to finally come more into the mainstream. You know, um, we're starting to understand trauma more in the mainstream. And, it, and this is kind of the crossover into my community development world. But 
I work with some amazing colleagues that have helped educate me on how prevalent trauma is and how we need to always look at people through that trauma-informed lens. Okay. Um, so very basically, you know, you don't ask, oh, what's wrong with them? You ask, okay, what happened there? Exactly. You know, so I, I think when we start to do that, because to your point, I don't think people want to, you know, people would rather be happy and confident and be out there and connecting with other people, right? Yeah. And, um, but things happen, things all, to all of us. So if if we can start to look at it through that lens and be more compassionate, it doesn't mean that you still can't, you know, ex- have expectations to hold people accountable reasonably. Yeah. But I think if we can more, be more compassionate, understanding, and, you know, not take things personally because, you know, understanding that there's a larger picture here in a lot of cases, I think we're all going to be a lot better off um, in society. But to your point, that's not always the easiest thing to do. I think we're all on the, on basically the edge of an expanding universe Yeah. and learn. There's so many, every day as I talk to people, both in and out of work, there are realizations coming out about mental health and just a lot of things that go undiagnosed that are being diagnosed that weren't in the past that, you know, this is really a very complex mechanism our human brain and the more that i think we're starting to understand this the 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 more helpful it's going to be in getting people to where they need to be in life having them understand okay this is why this is happening to you or why you're reacting this way and now that we know that we we can address it um you know another another friend of mine recently got got diagnosed as autistic and you would never know that to look at her you know, but then it's just like, okay, there's traits here that we can see the traces back. But I wonder what the world will be like in 20 or 30 years when that becomes commonplace, when we start treating mental health the way we treat physical health, when we start to have checkups for for kids and young people and testing early on so that we can catch things and and better address them. Because there are there are solutions out there that work. And, you know... And for me, you know, I didn't see a therapist till I was 46 and I'm, I'm the first person to say, man, that changed my life. And just being able to talk to that person every week and, you know, being on a, on a, on a small dose of Prozac, like those just two little tweaks yeah. have, have changed my life. It's given me the confidence and abilities to get over things that I couldn't in, in the past. And, you know, you think about everyone, everyone out there has some degree of a mental health issue, right? It's where does it land on the spectrum? None of us is in perfect physical health, right? So why should we expect that we're all in perfect mental health, right? There's always something there that that we should be looking at and trying to make better yeah. and being more compassionate for each other. Yeah. You know, so. Absolutely. It's so interesting too. There's like, it gets layered, you know, we have like a seven layer burrito going on and, <laughs> In the world of like rock and metal, there's like this other layer of like um, maybe like bullshit masculinity because it's like, you know, like, hey, you know, we're metal and tough and maybe I shouldn't be like I I can't be nice or show compassion. I mean, that's not the case. I have no plenty of teddy bears in the the death metal world that are the nicest 
fucking people and that's you'd ever not meet. saying that when you're up but, on stage you can't put on an act totally. to be like to, but there, to make it you know i think that there are some people that have a hard time like dealing with that or growing and like yeah. when you talk about like bands that are also in metal or punk or pop punk there's also like an adolescence of where a lot of that music stems from but as you're growing and like you get into your late 20s into your 30s into your 40s and you're still like making pop punk which is like there's nothing wrong with making that kind of music, but it's like, well, this is like an undeniably adolescent thing. A lot of like, it's a youth driven culture thing, mm. you know? And it's like, how do I battle with like, Oh, like I still am into hardcore and I want to listen to new hardcore bands that are coming out. But the majority of them are kids in their twenties that are arguing, you know, yelling about things on a microphone that to me, in my late thirties, I feel a little disconnected from. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like, cause like the music, uh, there's just something about these styles of music that it's not easy to age gracefully right within them. So, and I'm in this point now where I'm starting to try to figure out how to navigate. How can I age gracefully as somebody that still likes heavy metal and as somebody that has the Ninja Turtles tattooed on them, how do yeah. I yeah. age gracefully? Because like I, you know, I am somebody that embraces all of these things that I grew up around, but I also don't want to be like uh, somebody that is like devoid of adult responsibility or viewed as somebody that doesn't take like the world around me seriously because I have cartoons tattooed on me. It's like, I don't know, but I Dude, also am an artist and I overthink everything. So do oh, shit. <laughs> that's, that's look, man, that should be tattooed on my forehead. Um, but overthinker, oh, right. All right. And this is great. You're making me feel really good today. It's like, okay, I'm not the only one out there, but you, you'd bring up an amazing point, And that is, I think that from what I am learning and trying to figure out is keeping that balance. So we should always be able to be childlike, man. And, and, you know, it's like that Herbie Hancock album, speak like a child. We should always, we should always keep that inner child present and active. Yeah. And open the possibilities because that, that part of us is the part that's open to whatever. So to your point, you should not stop listening to this type of music or enjoying cartoons or whatever, man, you should always enjoy that. Oh yeah. But here's the great part of age and wisdom is that now you can balance that with all this newfound knowledge that you have too. And if you can re remain open and keep learning and synthesize all of that, yeah, like shit's just going to keep getting cooler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's that, that's, that's, that's the hopeful goal. It's just, you know, I can't help, but sometimes if maybe I've had, you know, a few shots of whiskey and I'm hanging out with some people on, you know, a random night and right. we're complaining about the new mortal Kombat movie. There's right. a part of me where like, some door creaks open and another version of me sticks his yeah. head in and he's like, what the fuck are you doing with yourself, dude? <laughs> but like, you know, I'm just relaxing and letting loose. Exactly. And, and that's where you, I give myself a hard time for that. I well, think. no, I think we should all allow ourselves that. That's where you, that's where you tell that, <laughs> you know, that voice, like sit down, <laughs> shut the F up and have another shot of whiskey, you know, relax. Sure. sure. So, you know, digging more into your personal background outside of being a musician, we've brought up a couple times, uh, working with 
the McKees Rock CDC, mm-hmm. correct? Um, and we were also talking about being introverted and coming from that sort of a background. So how does a, you know, musician, artist, introvert decide that they want to get involved in community development? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I think it's the same as kind of why I made this EP and probably why you create music yourself and do this podcast is that you have a calling and an urging to do it. It's just something inside of you pulls you. Yeah. You know, um, and for me, you know, it was, you know, growing up and hearing all these wonderful stories about how great my hometown was in its heyday. Um, And then coming back after college and looking around and saying, you know, a lot of those bones are still here. This could, this place could have a rebirth like different neighborhoods around Pittsburgh are experiencing now. Why can't we do that here? And that curiosity that, that you talk about leads you to start digging and saying like, okay, and talking to people. And then what you start hearing is that, yeah, you guys could do this too. Why not? Sure. And that becomes very powerful. It becomes a very powerful pull. And then, yeah. And I guess, you know, then to take that to a place where you start doing it for your career, I don't know, man. I I think it was just this, you know, again, like making the album, it's something that wouldn't let me rest. It's just like, I had to keep doing this. I had to explore, like, I have to, I have to do my part while I'm on this rock, as you said, to, to try to make that happen. And then you start to gather like-minded people and you find that you're not alone out there and people feel the same way. And that kind of gives you momentum. It gives you a boost. And then here you find yourself 20 years down the road and that still is what I'm doing every day. And it's incredible because you, your world continually is enriched by new people coming into your sphere that are like-minded and want to see wonderful things happen in your, in your community as well and bring the new creative spirit and energy here. Like, wow, I didn't think about that. Like, that's really cool. And, you know, so that, I don't know if that answers your question. It's, it's, it's been a pretty amazing journey. Yeah. And I think my perspective and what I hope to achieve on day one is so much more different now. It's so much more informed. It's so much more matured in a lot of ways. So, you know, I feel, you know, we're kind of having a discussion around uh, the cliche of be the change you wish to see in the world, right? That sort of an idea. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that probably would be interested in doing the kind of work that you do in their community. But I imagine, you know, being an outsider sometimes, it can be a little intimidating just trying to even get your foot in the door. So for you and getting your foot in the door of starting to do this work, what was that like? And like, what advice would you give to anybody that's interested in doing that themselves? Well, that that's a... That's actually an excellent insight. I had the benefit of having grown up in my community, but not only that, my my father um, was very well known and like both of my parents were. My dad had a at a bar that um, a lot of the, the town's leaders hung out at. He knew a lot of people in town. 
So that gave me a, a, a natural inroads um, with with leaders and different stakeholders around the community. And so I immediately had a receptive ear, um, you know, that, that gave me a leg up. Um, what I would say for people that um, if you're interested in, in pursuing something like this in the community that, that you live, what I would say, my advice would be is find those like-minded people. If your passion is, hey, I want to do an urban garden in my community, you know, find those people that are interested you know, through Facebook, through whatever, through putting up flyers, through attend, through attending a town meeting, a, a municipal meeting, and coming up to speak, whatever it is, um, explore. You know, what other people are out there are passionate about, what you're passionate about, because I would imagine that every community has those people, and it's just a matter of connecting with them. And doing what we're doing today, it's just like let's go out and have coffee, or let's grab a drink, or whatever, and talk. Yeah. And ideas will spin out of that. And the great thing about Pittsburgh, and this really helped me get started with the CDC, is that there is a tremendous community spirit in Pittsburgh where people that are in community development are so willing to share their knowledge and experience and help you on that road because they've all been there. And, you know, they can see your vision a lot of times and, and want to help you get there. So if, for example, you wanted to start a new entity in your in your community, there are groups like New Sun Rising and Neighborhood Allies and Pittsburgh Community Reinvestment Group that are out there that will be an attentive ear to help you help you get started and think about how do you build this thing. Um there are a lot of resources out there. So if you have a dream for your community, go for it because there are a ton of people out there that will have your back and, and want, want you to succeed. And again, if you're doing it from an authentic place, um, then it can happen, you know, but I, something that I learned early on and advice I got, and I'm, we're still trying to do this every day is the most important thing is that you be that you're doing it to not only serve your desires, but those are the people that are living around you. So it's, it's critical that you meet your neighbors and talk to them, that you meet people in the community and talk with them and find that common ground. And, you know, if it turns out that your interest intersects with, with theirs, then, then you have momentum. But, you know, that, that is something that, you know, I think, we all, I don't know, I don't know if struggle is the right word. I will say that is one thing that we all struggle with in community development is really connecting with more of our residents and finding um, commonality. If you're in a community like ours, which is, you know, 6,000 people in McKees Rock, 6,000 in Stowe, my goal would be to get to know and have a conversation with all 12,000 people. That's really hard to do. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, maybe you start with a core of four or five people. And unfortunately it's usually those four or five people, you know, doing the the bulk of the work. You constantly have to be connecting, reaching out, trying, trying to find meaningful ways for people to volunteer and, and, and help. And that never changes. It's a very basic organic thing, but, I think that if 
you know, anyone out there has a dream for something in their community, have those conversations with your neighbors, get to know them, um, find those like-minded people in your community. And after you kind of achieve that little groundswell, there are so many resources out there to help you with that. Yeah. There's a really interesting thing that I think a lot of people overlook in terms of communities where it's like, even if you're not a a homeowner, even if you're renting a place, it's like you still live in this community and you're paying to be a part of this community. So it's like, you know, the way that I look at this house, like I rent this house, Mm -hmm. I do not own this house, but I'm here every day. And I like, you know, I remember um, me and some friends organized a community cleanup a couple years ago. And like around that time, it was really cool getting to meet neighbors and just like seeing the neighborhood being clean made me feel better and felt like I was a part of the community. Just even like walking down the street to get a coffee at the cafe down the street, just knowing like, Oh, like everything looks better, looks fresher. It's nice. And just like, Oh, like not only it's not, it goes from like, Oh, this is my little house that I rent to feeling like, Oh, this is a part of my community because I'm taking part in helping doing a little bit more with X, Y, and Z. And I guess not everybody has that interest or has the time for that. And that's That's, inevitable. But if you're somebody that is interested in that, I think there are definitely resources to look into. And most of those like little groups can always use a couple dozen extra sets of hands. No doubt. Nobody's going to like turn you down and say like, Nope, we don't, we don't need your help. (laughs) They're probably going to be like, please come on. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, then it's the conversation of like, okay, what are you into and how can we incorporate that? Because yeah, if it doesn't matter if you're a homeowner, renter or whatever, everyone adds something to the community Mm -hmm. and to the overall mix of, of, of what it is. The thing that I was surprised about too was, you know, locally, at least here in Troy Hill, um, when I got to meet other people that do a lot in the community, they're like people my age. Yeah. They're not like you have this, like maybe it's just part of me, like thinking when I think of like local community or like, I think of like older people. And I don't know if it's a combination of like me just stereotyping or me maybe coming to terms with like that, like, Oh, I'm also kind of older now. (laughs) Like I'm not getting younger. Right. So it's like, Oh, like this is not something that I feel like an outsider in. There are people that are, in my age demographic that are homeowners up here or just people that care about the neighborhood that are open and interested in what I'm doing. You know, like I've had like little community meetups and people were like, Hey, you do that podcast thing. Right. And I'm like, yeah, why do you yeah. know who I am? That's cool. Do but it's know, like, Oh, you're my age. Do you know Henry and Elise? Mm, no. Henry um, and Elise Horn Pyatt. Um, are they from up here? Yeah. They, they live only a few blocks away. In fact, we, I helped them move someone right down the street here last, last summer, but, um, Henry's a board member of ours. Okay. And you know, his wife, Elise works for new sun rising and they're just in, incredible neighborhood advocates and just cool people. So they become friends in addition to our professional relationship and they live a, a few blocks away from here. Oh, cool. You know? So yeah, you have people like that right in your neighborhood and they just have years of experience in, in community work and, and, and so much to offer. Yeah. I think that there's also in terms of like something that I think a lot of people are going to need to do moving forward in terms of like finding alternative and new spaces to host live music is becoming involved with people that are involved in 
community development and especially people in this like rock and punk and hip hop world outside or looking in, we can kind of be seen as like a nuisance, a potential problem. Like, oh, you want to have a space to host heavy metal shows? That sounds like a bunch <laughs> of shenanigans. And really, it's going to be like a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons. Nerds yeah, just right. watching each other play guitar. Like, right. it's not going to be a Motley Crue concert as much as I wish it was. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. Those aren't the times anymore. Um, but maybe like getting getting your foot in the door and like, you know, introducing yourselves and being a part more part of the community and saying like, Hey, like what can we do about getting live music here in this spot? Or like, what are we doing with this space? That's been empty for five years. Is this something that we could potentially turn into something? I don't know. I think we're going to need to do more of that. It's just really hard. Um, because so much of like this rock, we'll just the rock umbrella. It's like, Oh, if it's not in a bar where people can get fucked up, people don't want to come out. And I just don't see that that being like, always an option moving forward at least for some time until some of these bars open back up and i don't know there's a whole but whole your, nest of problems there there, there are there are man uh, i mean it's like i empathize with business owners right now you know maybe pre-pandemic taking a chance on a local band doing a show maybe it's not that big of a deal but now if you're hosting an event in your space after you've been opened with all of this overhead and money that you're probably trying to recruit, I don't see a lot of these like local bars and places that can host live music taking a chance on local music as much for the time being because it's a it's always been a gamble, always but now gamble. it's going to be like a huge gamble. And that's the hard part, right? Because it's always the rub is that you know, as a working band, you know, you want to get compensated in return for your work. Um, and that's always been the rub as what a venue owner is willing to pay. And now what I'm hearing is that, you know, this summer, especially there's going to be a lot of like parking lot concerts and different mm -hmm. things. And maybe it goes both ways. Maybe it's the venue owners, um, will need to be more flexible. And as musicians, we might have to be willing to to take less up front in order to get out there and just have an opportunity to play our stuff live for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, just the overall theme is going to be uh willing to compromise, yeah, compromise. Absolutely, man. And compromise has always been very important. I think it's an important part of life, regardless of what you do, even if you're not in music or art at all, compromise is huge. But uh, yeah, I think that, stepping outside of our comfort zones as artists, stepping outside of like, oh, well, I don't want to play this venue because of X, Y, or Z. Fuck it. If you want to play, that might be your only chance for yeah. the next three months. Because also the supply and demand is going to be crazy, I imagine. If there are a lot of places that aren't willing to book as many shows, there's still way too many bands and yep. they're all going to be trying to play. So how do you get your foot in the door um, in these are just now, now, now my brain's just, well, and, but and, you know, and, and the great thing is too, is that I think from a community perspective, um, you know, you have neighborhoods looking on how to activate their, their downtown districts in different ways. And, you know, putting live music on a regular basis in an empty lot that maybe is, is being unused. Right. And making, making that a, an opportunity where you, 
you can offer artists the exposure yeah. to, you know, to a lot of people coming and checking that out. You, you, know, you know, man, like I remember going to one of those um, Pittsburgh music ecosystem things a few years ago. Um, they had a meeting at the Hard Rock in Station Square. Very cool stuff, right? I think the I think our former mayor was there and some some other people, whatever. And I get to talking with some ding dong about like, oh, like you're talking about, you know, all of this local music and development and stuff like that. Well, like, what can we do for metal, rock, punk, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And the guy like pretty much just kind of like laughed, like, what are we supposed to do? And it's like you do understand that there's like a huge demographic of people with I mean, I know this all boils down to money. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that will pay to see live music if you allow it to happen. Right. You know, a lot of times like, you know, a metal band will come through like a big band will come through stage AE and it'll sell out. The, the, the community is there. It's just like maybe people were just tired of going to these small smoky clubs where we've kind of pushed these genres of music. They don't want to go to those places. They're not comfortable environments for everyone. But if we allow this demographic of people if we give them a bigger more comfortable space they are going to come out they are going to spend their money and it's going to help stimulate the arts and entertainment industry a bit more like you know we're not total degenerates most most people that are into alternative types of music are as normal as anybody else on the right. street there's just nowhere for them to go right so so i think that starts to be the challenge is that okay can we get more creative with you know creating music happenings at non-traditional spaces you know and and again there's some great traditional spaces out there like again black forge is is so fantastic for the metal scene here in pittsburgh you know but it can only accommodate so much so to your point where can we get more creative using outdoor spaces during the warmer weather weather months yeah you it's know, like and, why the pits why why is there <clears throat> no realm of any sort of like rock music during the arts festival I mean, like the most that you get is maybe like, you know, some like not to like be uh, derogatory, but kind of like a dad rock thing, maybe yeah. like an older, like a like a like a like well, a like a like a legacy band. So or here's like the a thing. Legacy. They're, they're trying to appeal to the widest audience possible. So I they get have it. to they have to water that down. But throw there. There's there's plenty of little back alleys in place where you could tuck a second it, stage. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's where you have to get you have to get creative. And if it's not going to happen in downtown it, Pittsburgh, it can happen in communities and, like mine. And if you go right? to like yeah, totally, if you and if you go to something like a Deutschtown Music Festival or a Millville Music Festival, right. the places that always have the biggest crowds are those small places with the rock bands playing. Exactly. Why is that? Because people like that Absolutely, kind of stuff. Absolutely, man. That's you what know, I seek out. I seek out the thing that that that's different and unique. Oh wow! I don't know what just happened there. The 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 sticky lens just fell off the camera yeah. again. You know what? That keeps happening. And I don't know why that keeps happening, but we'll just turns out we really don't even need it right now. All right. And you know what? We're we're wrapping up soon anyways. But that's sorry about that. That was probably very frightening for anybody watching. Probably not. Anyway. Maybe not. Maybe um not. maybe I'll even just edit it out. Nobody will know the difference. Hey. Um But I also think too oh, or, but yeah. So like on those bigger stages, they'll put like no, nothing. I understand they're trying to appeal to a wide variety of audiences, but you're putting like small stage acts on a big stage and then big stage acts on a small stage. 
And it's so, it's so strange. You know, yeah. And I think the other, the other challenge logistically to something like that, I love the Deutschland Music Festival. We've done, you know, we had the festival in McKee's Rocks for years, you know, and those music festivals are such a big undertaking, right? You work all year oh, yeah. to put something on in a couple of days. And that, that can be very limiting. And Deutschland is great. I mean, they get, they have like dozens and dozens of musical, musical acts that can play in that one weekend. But, you know, can we do something that's more guerrilla where we put up a stage in an empty lot and we don't need to plan an event around it. It could be more simple, like, okay, reserve that space for Saturday, whenever, you know, on our website and then blast it out to, to your social media. We'll do the same. And then you kind of have these, what do they, what do they call them? Um, you know, a decade ago, the flash mobs or whatever. Oh yeah. It's just like my band is playing here in this empty lot at blah, blah, blah. Come out and see it. And we can do that on a more frequent basis yeah. as so, opposed to. So much of that probably boils down to like stupid insurance, red tape and things like that. Um, Cause like, so like, you know, I, 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 um, so I'm involved with uh, Get Hip Records in the North Side, mm -hmm. and uh, we have a venue space that we built out there, and we were hosting shows. And a big issue that we had with hosting shows there is the amount that we were getting charged for insurance because right. we're hosting rock and roll shows versus other kinds of music. And, you know, again, you, you say rock and roll show, and everybody's thinking that it's fucking, you know... 1984 Van Halen. I wish, right? but it's not again. It's, you know, a bunch of it's, you know, if we're lucky, maybe 40, 50, 60 people come out and like everybody might have a beer and they're just watching each other play. This isn't exactly. like some huge rowdy thing, but from people on the outside, there's that stigma of like what this style of music is. And I think it like creates a huge barricade for, us and being able to do things like just like, like, you know, I, 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 I'm very, very adamant that there is, if there's something like the Pittsburgh arts festival, there could be a second stage with family friendly rock and punk and metal entertainment that people were going to enjoy. And it's not going to take much to do it. No, it's not. And we've, we've kind of created that, you know, so next door to the Roxy and theater, um, we own, an empty lot that that is going to be developed here in the next few years. But for the time being, it's available. And, you know, we've worked with the Roxy owners to, to say, make that available for pre-show smaller bands that just want to come out and take advantage of the crowd that's coming, you know, to the Roxy and, and have that exposure because, you know, you might have a thousand people in line waiting to get in and your band could be up there playing and getting that exposure. Unfortunately, COVID, kind of shut us down yeah. but that was the vision and hopefully again now that um they're going to be having shows in the fall we'll be able to revisit that um it can be done and the insurance is not i believe that much of a of a barrier is what we've discovered so um there are ways to do it there are ways to do that and i agree with you that that's the type of model we should be exploring more because then that really gives everyone a chance to get out there and get heard absolutely so as we're rounding the station here, yes, 
I could probably talk to you for another four and a half hours. I think so, so man. We'll just have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. But for all of our listeners out there that have other things to do today, other things to put in their eardrums and their eyeballs, we're going to let them get to it. But before they go, why don't you plug where people can find the EP and anything else about you that you want people to find? Yeah, man. Thanks. So the, the EP is available wherever you stream music, right? Um, the Spotify's, the band camps, the whole thing, right? So it, it's out there. Leaky faucet battle scars. Yeah. The, the thing that I'll really say too, about this music, in, in my opinion, I'm very proud of it. I think it's very authentic. I think it takes the, the, the best of those fundamental styles like gospel and, and soul and blues and rock and infuses a new life in them. The songs I think are very inventive um, and they're all also very personal. So uh, really I was able to explore a lot of my life's journey through, through these songs, through, through the lyrical content, through the music. So they're very emotive. And I think too, that your listeners will find something that, that touches and moves, moves them in the music. So um it's a very it's all it's a very personal story for me, but I think very relatable to others too because these are common themes that we we explore the you know um, loss, redemption, um, angst, um, um, you know it's 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 all there. I'm, I'm very proud of it, and I I would just ask your listeners to give it a chance and and, and see what they think, and hopefully uh, putting together. Um, a fantastic live band to take these songs out live and actually build a set of related music around it. And we should be looking to have finally a, a vinyl release party sometime um, later this summer, probably in August. Awesome. Um, but there'll be more information coming out about that. Cool. Cool. Well, he gave you the info. So go take advantage of that. And with all that being said, we're going to wrap up this conversation. I feel like the lens fell off and now I'm kind of like stuck on the side here, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm not going to. The outros are so silly. Like, hey, you know, welcome, what do you do with that? welcome the outro. That's all, that's all folks. Um, yeah, that's all folks. Uh, I would be actually that is. I'll be like, that's all folks. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Uh, one more time. Leaky Fawcett, thank you for being here, my friend. I'll thank be you back for the again opportunity, Brian. next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2021. Woo, woo. Thanks for listening. And we're done, my friend. That is a podcast. We made it happen. Recording stopped.